Good afternoon, and welcome to the Voice of Wisdom. With over 60 years of experience as an investment banker, entrepreneur, investment analyst, economist, and venture capitalist, Morty Davis is Wall Street and capitalism personified. The over 400 companies for which he has raised more than $3 billion over the years have created a countless number of jobs and exciting new products. Through the voice of wisdom, Mr. Davis explores, analyzes, and debates the most topical political, economic, and social issues facing our world today. Joining Mr. Davis today for a discussion on war and defense is Paul Copperell. Paul's an Army veteran and a brilliant Harvard Business School graduate with a highly successful career in investment banking, private equity, and portfolio management. He was an adjunct professor at Pace University and a guest lecturer and faculty colloquial leader at West Point. And now, Mr. Davis and Mr. Copperell. It's Wednesday, 6.30 again, and I'm delighted to be back with my uh, precious listeners. You guys are great. The information you would send me, the uh, disagreements you, you it's, uh, hit me with, make me feel a lot better every week. And really add to my, uh, you learn, they say you learn the most from your students. Well, I learn the most from all of you. And often I change my views and, and I appreciate your insights. So keep on sending your, uh, your criticisms, your comments, and, and uh, your wisdom. And I'm delighted today to have uh, a classmate of mine from Harvard Business School. He's a real genius and a lovely human being. And he, he's had a great uh, career on Wall Street. He, he was a professor at West, at West Point. He's just unbelievable. One day I'm going to do a book on him. Anyway, his bio. Anyway, we, we have a, an exciting show today, I believe, very topical. It's about uh, defense spending and, and war and all the things that affect human beings significantly. So, employer. And, um, and we spend more in defense than all the rest of the world combined, practically. Not, not quite all, but including China, India, United Kingdom, that's England, Russia, and Germany. So it goes back to what um, one of our great presidents said. He said, the more we spend on defense, the more people are going to, uh, the other countries are going to be, especially at that time during the Cold War, they'll be reluctant to, to cross us in any which, which way. However, the facts are, are very different from that. Since the end of the Second World War, we've been in more wars than any other country in the world. And we haven't even won a war since the end of the Second World War. Right after the Second World War in 1950, the Second World War ended in 1945. In 1950, we, ent we uh, launched a war against North Korea. We, we, China was involved, South Korea was involved, South Korea was our ally. This, several years later, we got involved in the uh, Vietnam War a very painful war for this country. We lost a lot of blood and treasure. It was heartbreaking. The, after that, we, had, we entered the Iraq War. After that, we entered the Afghanistan War. And the, the, the tragic comment I have about wars is there's no winners. There's just, even a winner loses it's young people, it's, it's most promising, and future generations, it's young men and women. And remarkably, we send our young women, men, young men and women, to fight, to, to use weapons that could kill, uh, you know, 40 people in, in a minute. Uh, it it release, releases hundreds of bullets within a minute, um, assault weapons, 
and and they're shooting enemy, so-called enemies, that absent being sent by the generals and by by our country to war, they'd probably be best friends, or they could very well be best friends with the with the people they're killing, and vice versa. So it's it's a horrible thing, war, and there's no winners, and I can't understand why we're the most belligerent country in the world. We're the wealthiest, but instead of using that money and, and those expenses to cure ca cancer and heart disease and all the maladies and, and uh, <clears throat> diseases and, and uh, what, what's the word? Um, uh, inflictions, whatever, that attack us, our children, our grandchildren, our brothers, our sisters, our mothers, our fathers, will all die from cancer, from heart disease, from Alzheimer's, from Parkinson's, from all these... Uh, uh, what's the other one that you take... Uh, um, what is the lily cell? Insulin, diabetes. Diabetes, diabetes. And, and for, the, for that, we have to go make appeals to, to individuals with a collection box. We have to appeal to uh, uh, corporations. And they do help. But, but, but to, we spend almost $900 billion out of our budget the federal government does, on war materials, where the biggest exporter, that's our major export of, of all the things we export, that's our major export, and, and, and we provided all the weapons overwhelmingly to all the other countries that are involved in conflicts. So I don't want to monopolize this. I want to get the wisdom of my classmate and my brilliant guest. So, Paul, why don't you jump in and make some comments or some criticisms of what I said? Well, Mort, I, I'm pleased to be on here with you, and I, I take issue when you say I'm brilliant. I'm not. But I, I do feel that the American government does have a strategy, and they have a a necessity, if you will, which is to defend the country against enemies. And of course, we hear this foreign or domestic. We're really talking here about foreign. And, and it's intriguing to me that most countries around the world think of the American government as being arrogant and a bully. Yet virtually all of their citizens, these are foreign countries, would love to live here in the United States. And so what is the, what is the common point about all of this? I mean, it's a, we live in this wonderful country. We are so blessed. Everybody recognizes that. They'd all love to be here with maybe a few exceptions in Iran and North Korea and China and so on. Um, what is what is wrong? Well, one of the things that during the last, let's say, 60 years or so, has been that, the, that we Americans are addicted to oil. And oil has been one of the major reasons why we've had so many difficulties in the Middle East. Indeed, in, what was it, 19, the summer of 1990, Saddam Hussein of Iraq invaded Kuwait. America promptly sent 10,000 members of the uh, airborne 101st in, uh, Infantry uh, Division to Saudi Arabia to protect Saudi Arabia against Iraq going farther south and taking over Saudi Arabia as well as Kuwait. And that, that enabled 
the United States to form a coalition. I think by the time it was all done, uh, to be President Bush, had, you know, then President Bush had something like a hundred countries that backed our uh, uh, alliance to get rid of Saddam Hussein and kick uh, the Iraqi army out of uh, Kuwait and remove them as a threat to Saudi Arabia. And so you tell me, if we weren't so addicted on oil, we would have an easier time of making our headway in the Middle East. Indeed, it used to be that people, the citizenry, citizenry of Persia, of Iran, loved Americans, and the government was crooked, corrupt, and ultimately the people overthrew it. And the United States, of course, felt a commitment to the Shah. And, and then, well, you know, when the embassy in Tehran was occupied, um, we, had to, we had to fight that, and we've been fighting it ever since. Uh, not with bullets, fortunately. I think the, the situation is this. It was Chip O'Neill, or Tip O'Neill, who was the leader of the House of Representatives, and he echoed something that Vladimir Lenin said many years before that, and that all national politics depend on local politics. And indeed, national politics and international politics are deeply entwined. And people, I mean, politicians run for office and they run for re-election and they want to be able to assure their constituents that, that in fact everything is okay because here I am, I'm protecting you, I'm enabling you to live this outrageous lifestyle. And the United States tries to influence our allies and others that the commitments we make are valid and also that they're long-standing. NATO is one of them, and I guess if you think about some other uh, alliances we have with Korea, Japan, Australia, as well as our NATO friends and, and the UK in particular, that these have been long, long-standing uh, alliances with friends. Yet, if something happens, as it did in Korea, as something has happened in a number, in, in Vietnam, for example, we go into these situations where we really don't know how we're going to get out. And, and what we're trying to do is to have the local army do the tough work for us while we provide them with munitions and armaments and so on. The trouble is that before everything is said and done, the United States military gets involved. And it's been, it's been uh, just horrendous. So we're, we're not very good at picking, I don't know what happened here. We're not very good at picking our allies in some cases. And we don't know how to get out of these military entanglements. Um, I'm, on the other hand, very, very cautious about Ukraine. I think the idea that of NATO in being enlarged to include the country of Georgia, the country of Ukraine, is absurd. I mean, no wonder Putin thinks, says that he is surrounded by NATO, because here we are right in the Russian backyard, and, and we have all these uh, countries that want to put put NATO into put NATO into the two countries to the south and southeast of, of Russia. And it doesn't make sense. Of course you're going to get some kind of a backlash from that. So I'm really I'm really concerned that our diplomats, our military and political leaders are only thinking about 
effectively local politics and national politics when we become involved with these these situations. And I think that's where the where the problem lies. It's with oil and we still consume what 10% of the or import 10% of the oil in the world. Um, we we are still as addicted as ever to uh, petroleum and we have a huge defense industry, Morty, as you say, there's no question about it. It's probably badly managed. So I'm, you know, I think it's extremely difficult. It's well, well, nigh, well nigh impossible to anticipate a world where everybody is peaceful and thoughtful and kind. That's not going to happen. I want to tell my, Paul, I want to tell my producer, we lost your video. Um, we hear you talking, but we don't have your beautiful face. Well, that's the best. Yeah, yeah, we don't have your beautiful right. image on the, uh, on the um, podcast. In any event, let me, let, me let me respond to some of what you said. First of all, oil is a major problem. I agree with that. But we didn't go into uh, Afghanistan because of oil. And I, I don't think we went into Vietnam because of oil. So, and, and let me go back to what Ronald Reagan believed and said and asserted is if, you, if we stay strong, I said, what? Tell him to, re my producer says, rejoin the email that he said, that I sent. I don't know if you understand what, what he's saying, Paul. He, he said sure. to, to tell you to rejoin through the email that he sent. Anyway, to get back to the um, topic at, uh, where we're uh, intricately involved in right now. Uh, Ronald Reagan, who I admired greatly, asserted and, and forcefully said that if we remain strong, that will prevent other people from getting us involved in, in war. They won't start up with us. And actually, we've never been attacked on our own territory uh, since, um, not even in the Second World War or the First World War, not since the Revolutionary War have we been attacked by a foreign country on our territory. And they weren't even in our, uh, a foreign country. Uh, Britain was the uh, uh, kind of the owner of our country because we were a colony of Great Britain. So we've never been attacked. If we're not attacked, why are we always attacking others or going to war against others? And uh, it's interesting, when you and I were young, you, you will remember the Defense Department was called the um, War Department. If, right through 45 and even a number of years beyond that. And um, then they figured uh, it doesn't sound great to call our Defense Department the War Department. It sounds too belligerent. It's really a better description of what what it's turned out to be because it's it's responsible for getting us in all the wars none of which have been declared since uh, I think since the second world war none of them have been declared by Congress which is is supposed to be the way we get involved in wars but presidents have made it that they can attack uh, or decide that they can attack other countries or get involved in other countries uh, based on the emergency that they feel we have. And uh, so we've been involved in all these wars. We never declared war against Korea, against uh, Vietnam, again, and against any of these countries, not since the Second World War. And also remember this, at the very inception of our United States Union, of our wonderful nation, the our founding fathers, particularly Monroe, it was called the Monroe Doctrine, 
said we should never get involved in any uh, battles, any uh, international conflicts, other than our concern for our immediate own country, only North and South America, only, only the North here and, and uh, Central and South America. And we've been all, all over the world, we interfere with every country, and, and there's no winners in a war. We, we lose uh, immense blood and treasure, and, and we pay for these wars for, for almost forever, because it's only three years ago, I think that's correct, maybe four years ago, that the last veteran of the Second World War passed away at, at a veteran's hospital. So, and, and likewise, uh, for the Afghanistan war, we have thousands and thousands of uh, uh, young men and women in veterans' hospitals that we're going to be paying for for the next 50 years because they're young and they're not well. And also, so many of them suffer the uh, pains and traumas of war and they t t tend to be suicidal. So, for, from my point of view, we should outlaw all wars, just as we outlawed chemical, use of chemical uh, weapons or biological weapons or uh, uh, mines, uh, what, what do they call them? Landmines. Land uh, because at the end of wars, the, the landmines are left there and for many, many years afterwards, civilians are getting killed by stepping on those landmines. So we have the capacity to do things. We have the capacity to do things with guns. People don't realize that there was a time when machine guns, like they showed in the old movies, that killed a lot of people, went rat-tat-tat-tat-tat and killed a lot of people. We outlawed it. Congress and the president voted to outlaw it. We've never had a problem with uh, machine guns. I think it was back to the 30s during Roosevelt's regime. And so things are, good things are doable if our leaders decide to do it. But, but I don't know why we're the most belligerent country in the world as witnessed the number of wars that we've been in since the end of Second World War. Even now, we got involved in, uh, in Ukraine with Russia when we didn't even try to negotiate dipl diplomatically and, uh, and uh, have a, a, a forceful conversation, uh, discussion, uh, to try to convince Russia that they're going to suffer greatly if, and we're going to back Ukraine if they do attack. And Putin said, well, if you just uh, arrange it so that Ukraine can't become a member of NATO, NATO already has 20 nations as part of, uh, in addition to the United States, as, uh, which is called the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. It already has 20. We don't need Ukraine. It's not going to strengthen NATO. So we could have agreed to that, at least tried it. Maybe, maybe he wouldn't have kept his word, but then we could tell him, look, we'll guarantee that we won't invite NATO, uh, Ukraine into NATO, but if you then attack, you're going to be fighting the United States. That, that's a reasonable approach, because you avoid a war. Now we're involved, we don't know if we, when we'll get out. If we get out, it's already cost us billions, tens of millions, billions of dollars, and there's no end in sight. So, and, and finally, and most importantly, I, I want to repeat again, none of you, none of us here, and none of my children, grandchildren, thankfully, will get killed by terrorists. We haven't had that problem. The only time we had it is 9-11. We haven't had it since. We never had it before. Very few Americans have ever been killed by terrorists. Every one of our people is killed, is, is, suffers, uh, not only killed, but, uh, you know, uh, horrendous, heinous, 
pains and suffering uh, from diseases, from cancer, from from these punishing, uh, painful. Uh, yeah, I can't even describe uh, you know, what you go through with chemotherapy and with all these treatments, surgeries, and so forth. And and that's the thing that's going to kill us. So why don't we take that 900 million? Well, some of it we need for for defense. We don't even have afterwards. We change it from War Department to the Defense Department. But but most of it, is, or much of it, is offense. So we it's a better usage. You know, it's a, they call it a euphemism. You don't say, uh, "I'm sorry, your father dropped dead." You say, "I'm I'm sorry he passed away." You find a nicer way to say it. Uh, you know, and we we found a good way to get people, our, our politicians and our leaders to spend money on defense because nobody could ever vote against defense. Yeah, you know, how could you vote against defense? If you had some offense as part of it, maybe somebody could vote against that. Moreover, Eisenhower, who I thought was, uh, uh, at the time, was a not a great president, and the reason he wasn't a great president was no wars occurred during, you know, you're great if you're involved as Roosevelt was during the Second World War, and Truman was uh, with the uh, Korean War and the end of the Japanese War, and um, Bush was involved in the Iraq War, so you're, you're somewhat recognized as, as a great hit president because you got involved and hopefully even got out of uh, some countries war. Uh, so, Well, Mort, I think you and I agree about the uh, business of NATO and it being on the southern flank of Russia. I mean, it may be, it may sound as if it's old-fashioned, that there's a sphere of influence or whatever. But the, but the fact is, we don't like it in the United States when the, Russia, when the Soviets put uh, missiles and troops in Cuba, and we're not going to like it uh, now that the, uh, the Chinese are setting up uh, uh, military posts and spy posts in Cuba. You know, it's... It's something that countries, maybe it's reactionary, but we all dislike having a perspective or actual enemy uh, on our front doorstep. And I think anyone, and whoever made these decisions, whether it was Reagan or Bush or Clinton or whatever, uh, really should be taken out to the woodshed because it, it just you're just begging for problems when you when you put when you even permit talk of Ukraine and Georgia going into NATO. I mean in my opinion that's ridiculous. I mean let's let's take another one which is Taiwan. Uh, Taiwan as you well know in 1949 it was occupied by the remnants of Chiang Kai-shek's government and army. And the, the place over the ensuing, what, 70 years has been a spectacular success. The, but to say that we're going to defend Taiwan for any reason other than semiconductors, it, it seems like a, a pitiful uh, example of thinking. I, I just, uh, I mean, we've already admitted that agree with China that Taiwan belongs to the mainland. So it's, I think, rather irrational to think that the United States would send you know, military ships, planes, troops, whatever, to defend China when China has, how big is their army? Three, three million people and probably many more in reserve. Now they could overwhelm the place in, in I would think, in, in fairly short order and sink a lot of our Navy and, and air, shoot down our Air Force while, they're, while we're trying to protect them. I mean, you've got to be realistic. But there it is. We made this 
agreement with Chiang Kai-shek because he was anti-communist and he fought the Japanese during the war as did the communists. And we make, we make long-term commitments. We don't know how to get out of them. And, and it comes back to haunt us Paul, over, over, many, over many decades. What's it called? The, uh, with, so, with all the respect, you know, Paul... Outlawing, outlawing war was tried by Woodrow Wilson. He said the reason for sure. Taiwan, was a rather the, uh, ineffective president, but the, the domestic people didn't vote for the representatives in the Senate that needed to approve uh, the the Versailles, the post-Versailles peace arrangements, of fourteen points, and so on. Right? Paul, with all due respect, uh, you just say the reason we were interest in defending Taiwan is because of uh, their importance in the semiconductors. We've been committed, uh, our country, almost every president since uh, the passage of, uh, as long as I can remember, has been made a commitment that we will defend Taiwan's independence. So it has nothing to do with semiconductors. Semiconductors only became an issue in the last few years. But we, uh, let me point out that, you know, I love this country. I love this country as much as I love my children. I love, I think it's the greatest country in the world. There's never been a country like this with all its shortcomings. But it's become a hostile country. At the end of uh, the Cold War, uh, when Russia broke up and there were, uh, how many countries was it made up of? Maybe 25 different countries. And, right. and, it, and it broke up. And, and at that juncture, we should have invited Russia into NATO. Instead, we put, within a couple of years, we put missiles on their borders in, in Poland and in Hungary. What kind, what kind of thing is that to do? You say you, you're treating them as an enemy, even though they've stop being your enemy and uh, the same yeah, and the same the thing to do about nato is invite russia to join it i agree well now i don't know but at that time certainly you know you want to make them you, you say that you're a good guy now we want to make you part of our uh, club our team instead we we show that we're acrimonious to them that we we don't trust them that we we're ready to go to war with them and we're doing the same thing with china now it's almost like we need an enemy. We need an enemy. China, we should be cooperative with China. We should. We always need an enemy. What? What's? You know, I, we have enough enemies. Iran says every day, "Death to America! Death to America!" They're an enemy. But Russia and China, they don't need to be, and they could be in cooperation. You can move the world forward much faster. And technology certainly, and so they steal some some technology from us. Yes, we steal technology from them. It's just like when when we the Russians catch a spy, or say that they catch a spy. The, the government says that he's not a spy. The Wall Street Journal says it's not. I went ahead at one time when they say, "Oh yeah, you caught a spy." They always say it's just like. Trump, when he uh, asked Putin, he says, I asked Putin if he interfered with our uh, elections, and Putin guaranteed him that he never did it. It's just like every murderer who commits a murder says, I never did it. So if he said it, so you've got to believe him. That's it's absolute nonsense. We, we don't need enemies. We need friends. We need cooperation. We need to find ways to work things out, not to, not to kill each other. And it's good for everybody. You know, I don't think we could do that through the UN, but maybe through an agreement of all the countries in the world contributing to an international army that if any country starts a war wrongfully, that we, we send in that army and, and, and end it right away. But I want to see the end of these deaths to, to our young people. 
Or at least... Well, I, I agree with you about that, but I mean, uh, I was thinking if we don't have wars, we won't have any James Bond movies, so that's really, you know, difficult. I, I, would, I, I would accept wars. Paul, I would accept wars if they'd only draft people over 65. Because <laughs> this way, they've lived most of their lives and their wives would be happy to, they'd say, my husband just got a purple heart, or even if he got killed, I have a gold star. And not only that, they won't get killed. You know, when you're at the, after that age, you're not going to run after the other guy. You'd rather take a nap or sit down and, and have a sandwich. Uh, but to take our young, our young people, our future, and send them against the other nation's young people, we're depriving the world of, of, of individuals that could make phenomenal contributions to science, to medicine, to everything. War is, there's no winners, only losers. Well, that's true. And, and I think there's no, no question about that. The, the, the peace dividend would be enduring and would be huge, huge in terms of redeploying funds, money, enthusiasm towards things that are essential. But, I mean, the problem is, having spent some time in the, in the Middle East on business uh, years back, uh, I've got to say they're, they're a bloodthirsty bunch. I mean, I, I don't uh, talk about infidelity, but if a woman or a man in many Muslim countries, or some, I shouldn't say many, but some, um, Muslim countries are brought to so-called justice. The woman is is stoned. The man may get a reprimand, or the woman is stoned and the man is beheaded. I mean, you know, this is tough stuff. And, and there are attitudes that we have to consider. Attitudes are so damned important in this. Why go back to Taiwan? Of course. This, why did we support Taiwan? Going back to Shanghai Shek, who was a who was a corrupt individual with a corrupt leadership and army that was devastating. Because as we came out of the 1940s and into the early and mid and beyond, uh, early and mid 50s and beyond, communist communist countries were our enemies. And whatever you want to say about the revolution in China, uh, I'm no expert about it, but they were a pretty bloodthirsty bunch too. And the Soviets, do you, do you remember that Joseph Stalin's birthplace was Tbilisi, which is in Georgia? Uh -huh. And here, here we want to honor uh, NATO by bringing Georgia into the NATO organization. <laughs> Good luck. Uh, I'm, I'm appalled by the need to have an army, but we, we have to make do. We have to, we have to defend ourselves. And I, I don't see the United States as being a country that actively seeks to invade others. I mean, if we want to do that, well, then let's invade Canada and, you know, we have a better chance of winning the war there. Well, Paul, when should we go to war or why should we create so many enemies? Or, or, or why, why shouldn't we cut the defense $900 billion and move a, a large part of that into the defense of the things that are going to kill us? kill every congressman, every senator, even George Bush, the father, lost a little uh, girl, a, a daughter. Sure. She was yeah. like four to years cancer. old to cancer. You know, yeah. are they immune? Are they, are they, they don't realize? I mean, it's, it's so, so unbelievable that we, that we don't respect life. You know, we, we spent send people to get killed. Our, our Bill of Rights says, life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. We, don't, we obviously don't care about life. Every day there's more mass slaughters. 
and every other country other than the United States, every advanced country, once they've had one mass uh, slaughter, mass uh, shooting, they've changed the laws, they've constricted, restricted the distribution of, of guns, and, and they never, Australia had a, a, a mass slaughter, maybe, I forget how many people were killed, 45 people maybe, in 1995. And immediately they dealt with the problem in order to get a gun, you could still get a gun in Australia, but it takes a year, you do it under the auspices of the police force, before you get authorized to get a gun, you, you have to prove and, and demonstrate that you know how to put your gun safely away, and you know how to shoot and hit the target, because even in this, in this country, where policemen are trained, they rarely hit their target. It's, it's, it's like, you know, it's sometimes uh, when, when the NRA says everybody should carry a gun, we'd have like a Texas, old-fashioned Texas shootout because most everybody that aims would know who the, who the killer is and they'd be shooting wildly. So it, it's ridiculous, you know. But we don't it is ridiculous. There's no doubt about it. How do you how do you get the money out of politics, and how do you get the the NRA out of politics? Yeah. That that's a challenge. And of course, there is whatever the Constitution has to say about the right to bear arms. We've moved. But we've moved quite. We've got, to, we've got to do this. We've moved to quite the opposite way. A few years ago, we passed something called Citizens. Um, I forget it exactly, but the ruling of the Supreme Court was uh, that money is free speech, and so you can't yeah. you can't limit how much money is given to to politicians. We don't live in a, in a in a democracy. We live in a, a a majority of the people want something overwhelmingly, and it's, it never passes because who calls the shots? The donors, the donors call their shots. It's called legalized bribery because when they finally get elected, the guy who helped put them in, who gave them millions of dollars, uh, or the group that gave millions of dollars, tells them what, what, how they should vote. So it doesn't now matter. You're 100% right, Mark, 100% right. I am once every. I'm like a busted clock. I'm right twice a day. Well, I tell you, I mean that was Citizens United, wasn't it? Yeah, Citizens United. That's it. I don't know but exactly. Yeah, but it, 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 that is itself is so corrupt. Just to say that 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 money can be spent by any any entity. Uh, whether it's an institution or a corporation or a foreign, whatever yeah. enterprise, Jesus, our uh, this is this is ridiculous. Our politicians are bought. It's a shame that the the most important issue is not what their constituents want, but their most important issue is how to get reelected. That's that's all they care about. Yeah. Now we okay, have life. So that goes back to what I said right at the beginning, and that is that I mean I wasn't as eloquent as you are, nor did I get into the whole thing about money. But I mean, absolutely. So that everything spreads from the need for politicians A to be elected, and then B, C, D, and all the way through C to be reelected, and money plays the essential ingredient in all of that, and that's that's crooked. It's corrupt. Well, the politicians feel that's that's good for the country, <laughs> okay? Because they get good advice from the people who make the donations, <laughs> the the donors, sure. the donors. So w when when should when should we go to war? Or why should we always pick some? You know what would be great if we found somebody on Mars or something, and all of us, the, all of the countries in, on Earth would mobilize and say that they're the enemy and and we would all cooperate and combine and, and become like a, a close family, a net family that works together to make life better and to, to make the world better. 
It's 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 just we our Bill of Rights says life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Life is clearly not that important because we don't spend money to save lives uh, as we would if we if we put all that money in medical research and and we don't um, and we send people to war to get killed and to kill others. So life isn't that important, and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Uh, it, it's turned out to be the pursuit of uh, ever-growing GDP, gross domestic product, and and even more so, ever-increasing profits. You know, Milton Friedman was a great, a great economist, a genius. I loved him, but the one thing that I take issue with, and that the, all of the corporations today follow. As he says, the sole role, uh, role of uh, corporations, the sole objective should be to maximize profits. That, that should not take care of the community, not to improve the environment, not, not, not anything that helps the, this world be a better place. That's why they could never vote against defense spending, because every congressmen and senator increases when they increase their votes to increase the the budget because every state has contractors or subcontractors that get big contracts with big profit margins uh, so that they're thrilled they could go back to their uh, constituents to their to their uh, fellow uh, states people uh, and say, Look, I, I got all this money, we're, we're going to get more jobs, we're going to get more... It's outrageous. Anyway, Paul, when, when should we go to war? Well, I'll tell you more in a little vignette. Uh, Joan, my wife, and I were in Honolulu. Uh, this was probably 1993, and we went to the uh, Pearl Harbor Museum. And it's right next to the to the in leather bay that is Pearl Harbor, and this museum celebrates as best it can a tawdry experience in the United States history, which was the attack on Pearl Harbor of December seventh, nineteen forty one, and as Joan and I approached the door into the museum, the Pearl Harbor Museum, a Japanese man and two Japanese women exited and they were they were laughing and probably no more than let's say an eighth of a mile or let's say even a quarter of a mile away was the USS Arizona still with the remains of what 2,000 or maybe 2,500 sailors in that coffin sunk at the bottom of the harbor, and and I was ready to punch these that this man, and I stopped them. We encountered them. I stopped them, and I said in a very stern way, when we come to Hiroshima, we do not laugh. And when you come to Pearl Harbor, you stop it. You do not laugh. And if you persist in laughing, I can assure you that my countrymen and I will take, will react to that and you will be severely damaged personally. You'll be hurt. And of course, the Japanese quieted down and walked softly away. Of course, as part of that whole scene, there was a, a man with a uh, something around, a, a little sign around his neck, and, and it said, to, I'm not Japanese, I'm Korean. Um, so at least there was some levity possible. But I was, in, I was outraged. 
And I think that is that being outraged is part of the problem too. If somebody takes advantage of me or of my patriotic fellows, um, I respond. And I know that's not perhaps as civilized as it should be, but I do respond. And I felt that way when I was in the army. I felt that way when I was lecturing at, at West Point. By the way, I was a guest lecturer. I was by no means a professor there. And, and I think you tell me how we control the, the reaction of our citizenry when something like Pearl Harbor or even when 9-11 happens. I mean, what, should we respond to those episodes? Absolutely, but we should go after the, the perpetrators and not go to war or a, of, uh, against the, an entire country, uh, you know, we should do exactly what we found. Well, what was his name? Osama bin Laden. We finally got him and killed him in, in Pakistan because he was the one that perpetrated the crime. Somebody comes out of uh, Philadelphia and commits a crime. We don't. We don't. We don't wipe out the whole city. We we just go after the guy who did the crime. There's, we're so stupid because they don't. We don't consider the cost to our own country. It's as if going to war is, you know, no, no cost at all. No, we enter so so easily. Why, why do we enter all these wars? How do we? How do you account for that? Well, Doesn't I think it's a it's a reaction. It's a, a reaction to what? Sense. No other country. No other country in the world gets involved is involved in as many wars as we are, as the conflicts, and we always have a new enemy. The minute we solve one, now now it's China. Now you know, China's not an enemy. They pr produced a lot of products for us. One of the reasons we have inflation, I believe, is we put tariffs on what they what they can send. So the amount of uh, goods they send to to uh, people places like uh, Walmart and Home Depot and Target and, and, uh, and dollar stores stop coming in and, and, and our people suffer because the people at the lowest end shop at those places and get merchandise and, and, and uh, things that they want or need or like at, at uh, very low prices and instead we, we cut that off and and so those people at the bottom of the ladder are the ones that pay pay the price that's yeah well that's true you know, trade free trade if it is is desirable yeah we should have it right no question about it that's and, and the chinese can produce things that are hugely cheap compared to what the united states could do no question about that that's the very basis of uh, capitalism. If, uh, if everybody, as we go back to where before capitalism, before Adam Smith, everybody was working on a farm, they were providing for their own family, if, if that, and uh, if they had it over, then they would barter for, for other goods or sell it for some currency. Uh, but we, he, he figured out that each man acting in his own self-interest uh, would produce as much as he could that other people want so he could he could get the rewards for, for producing that that's capitalism and all of a sudden we decide well we don't want the other guy to produce we'll produce we, we need the jobs we have enough jobs for people for the next hundred years to, to rebuild our infrastructure our, our bridges, our, our tunnels that are falling apart, our water systems, our dams, our, our ports, our, every, our grid. We have so much work, and not only so much work, but we could use it as a place to train young people that can't get a job. You know, if young people go for a job, they say, have you got any experience? They say, no. Well, come back when you get experience. So. If we had a big uh, infrastructure, 
run by the government, not, 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 not just like the Defense Department. They don't have to be government employees, but funded by the government. The, the, the uh, what do you call it? Boeing and, and, and Raytheon and all the biggest military um, manufacturers are not government, government employees, they're private industries. So we, we, should, sure. we should give it. Well, you're, now you're talking about one of my favorite subjects and that is a mandatory national service. I'm with you. Requirement. I'm with you. And whether it's the army or the, or the military, I should say, um, or something else is, I mean, I think it's a, 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 no, a no brainer. I mean, yeah. you need it. That's a, I mean, you land, at, you land in an airport coming in from Europe at the JFK, and you get in a taxi or a bus or a, your own car and you drive into Manhattan. I mean, my God, it's uh, the, the difference in the quality of the road work and, and bridges. I mean, this is a this is a third world country in terms of our infrastructure. There's no question about it. We should definitely do what Israel does and um, have every young person serve two years service to our country. If they don't want to be in, involved in shooting or fighting or killing anybody, they can do other services, assist in, in education, uh, assist in um, hospitals, medical uh, institutes. Absolutely. Uh, and, uh, Absolutely. And not only that, but it also teaches so many of the underprivileged that have no role models, they don't know, even know how to get dressed in the morning, how to get up on time. So it, it's, it's a very important thing, and, and it would serve the country. And not only that, it, it would reduce our cost. In, in, the, in, the, what do you, in the Second World War, we had a draft, and the privates that were drafted got $21 a month. Today, of course, that would be maybe a lot more, but it would be probably uh, $200 a month. They weren't in there now to induce people to join uh, the services. We have to keep raising the uh, salaries because they compete with other uh, jobs outside of the uh, uh, military services. So it, it would serve so many good things. It makes the drafties better because they get an education. They get, and you could even give uh, like uh, we did in after the Second World War. What did they call it? The uh, you could get fun, mm -hmm. your, your education funded. What was that? Yeah, the GI Bill. Yeah, the GI Bill. Yeah. I got the GI Bill to go to Harvard with you. Did you really? Oh. Yeah. I didn't know that. That's great. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, it, it paid a lot of my my tuition and rooming and you know room and board during our two years there. Yeah, but ton, Paul, tons of, tons of young people couldn't even uh, pay the tuition. So the Bill of Rights was a great thing and it was a reward for service. So... Yeah, absolutely. And, and one the, other... The Army, the Army sent me to Germany on a troop ship. I think it was one of the last troop ships that they used. And <laughs> it was... It was great duty, and my only responsibility was working in an office and helping to make the colonel, who was the commanding officer of our place, look look better. You know, so one of one of the one of the other great advantages of of having a, a draft and and everybody service serving is it would uh, discourage going to war because. These days, and, and for many years now, uh, the wealthy, look, Trump said he, he got a doctor to give a, a, a letter that he was incapable of being, yeah, being in the terrible. service because something was wrong with his leg. There's nothing wrong with his leg, but you know, he had, he had the influence and, and he could get somebody to write that letter. And so everybody would have to serve and, and, and then the, the wealthy, people, the influential people, not not necessarily wealthy, but all the influential people would be against the war. Right now they're not. 
So there's many good things that... Um, anyway, it's been such a stimulating um, uh, podcast with you. Uh, I really enjoyed Mark, it. Mark, you're the best. You're, you're the, the best. I pay a great deal of attention to what you suggest, what you propose, and let's keep let's keep talking. Okay, Paul, when, um, whenever you say you are the best, I know you're looking in the mirror. But anyway, God bless you. We'll have you, you know, back. I don't know if you can see it, but here is, to my left, is a photo that of a Nanyol uh, sculpture that John Whitehead, who was formerly the co-CEO of Goldman Sachs, bought. And John, for a while, was the number two guy in the State Department. And, and I think when you, when you look up at that lady, um, you just think, God, I wish I had had bought that instead of Whitehead having bought it. But of course, the difference is Whitehead had a lot of money and I never did. But anyway, there we are. I can't see the, I can't see the sculpture because you disappeared somewhere at the, during the latter part of our conversation. We didn't get the privilege. Well, I'll send you, I'll send we didn't you get, a photo. We didn't get the joy and the pleasure of seeing your beautiful face. Anyway, God bless you. She was going to come and listen to this. Uh, <laughs> she, she has a, a very strong opinions about about wars and who's Pearl that? Harbor. And who, so who's on. that? Who's that? Your wife? Yeah, that's Joan. Absolutely. Joan has strong opinions. We will have her on next time. You and her. Maybe oh, we'll I maybe get her. She's the she's the smart one of the family. That's for sure. Maybe but we'll have more, maybe we'll have you more. on, Paul. Maybe we'll have you on to discuss oil because you brought it up. That's an important subject, and the uh, oil and the environment and uh, global warming and uh, all the, all of that. So you are you're a great guest. I love you and have a great week. And to all my listeners, have a great week. God bless you. I love you. And every day of your life should be better than the day before. Bye. And we all love you, Morty. God bless you. Thank you.